0: Welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeGioia, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. It's an all-top fuel show today with Rob Flynn and Steve Torrance. Erica Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. An experienced crew chief and the reigning champ. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Policek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher! Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28 10,000 to the strike, an instant classic final round. Hey everybody, welcome to this edition of the NHRA Insider Podcast. We are mere weeks away, days away if you will, from protesting. Uh, That will be happening down in West Palm Beach, Florida. And teams have uh, been actively, literally thrashing to get everything done in order to roll out of their shops. And uh, really the next couple of days here as I make this show, most of those teams are going to start rolling end of the week, early next. They will spend they'll be spending their time at West Palm Beach working on ideas, working on their tune-ups and making sure everything that they have in their trailers is set up and ready to go. They will then go to Gainesville and in a in a plot twist that they don't normally get, teams will have the opportunity to make some runs on Tuesday and Wednesday after the race known as the Baby Gators to get a little bit acclimated with the surface at Gainesville. Normally, teams are not allowed to test on a racetrack that we're about to race on that coming weekend, but being this first race of the season, being the fact that it's uh, 2021 and still kind of wacky out there, uh, NHRA officials decided to do that, and we expect many of the teams to take advantage um, of making, if not a full complement of test runs over the couple of days at Gainesville, at least a couple, uh, when you have a shot like that to get on a racetrack and kind of get your feet under you before we get to qualifying on Friday, uh, it is certainly one that people want to take. So, we are going to be talking to Rob Flynn, who is the co-crew chief for Doug Coletta's Mac Tools Top Fuel dragster. He works with Troy Fashing on tuning that car and getting it down the racetrack. Going to talk to Rob about uh, Coletta Motorsports, kind of what's the outlook for the 2021 season for the Mac Tools car. Obviously, good news coming from that camp as they renewed their agreement with Mac Tools to continue on as the primary sponsor for Doug Coletta, as they have been for so many years. And then the second guest on the show will be Steve Torrance, the back-to-back-to-back defending Nitro, or rather. top fuel world champion, is going to be talking about the same type of stuff. We're going to talk about 2021. We're going to talk a lot about his team. We're going to talk a lot about that organization. We're going to talk about how they have maintained a standard and done things that people didn't think we would ever see happen in drag racing again after some of the great kind of uh, top fuel heyday championship runs we saw out of the likes of the Bernsteins and Amatos and Garlitzes of the world. Of course, Don Garlitz had a first-hand front-row seat to Steve Torrance's triumph at the Gator Nationals last year. We're going to talk about kind of completing that loop by starting at the Gator Nationals as well. There is, uh, as always, a lot going on these last couple of weeks, a lot going on internally with the NHRA, before the Amley Oil, NHRA Gator Nationals, before the Baby Gators, the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series throwdown that will be happening the week before, as it traditionally does at Gainesville. And it's uh, it's an exciting time. It really is the, the phone calls, the meetings, the planning, the the, uh, the kind of layout of our television show, some of the ideas we're working on for segments and, and concepts for our upcoming shows. It's all really exciting stuff and stuff that seemed a lot kind of far away. It seemed like it was on a different planet when we ended the season last year at at Las Vegas and then looked down at our calendars and saw that we wouldn't really be beginning our racing season until March. It seemed like it was going to be forever. At times it felt like forever, but certainly not anymore. The crunch is on, the pressure is on, and it's the kind of um, feeling if you're in this business, if you're in this industry, it's the kind of feeling that you really, really want to have. If you did not have a chance to watch our NHRA Time Machine live last week, it was myself, Ron Caps, and J.R. Todd. Uh, re-watching the 1992 Gator Nationals broadcast. Go back and watch it. It's on YouTube. You can watch it on NHRA.com. Uh, you can watch it. Go If you want to scroll back on NHRA's Facebook page, you can do that as well. But it was a really fun time. And that 1992 race, of course, is where Kenny Bernstein went 301 miles an hour, an incredible mark that was set then. It was also a race that had a lot of neat stuff happen inside of it. Kim LaHaye going to the semifinals as a driver in Top Fuel. A lot of people forget she drove an entire season of Top Fuel competition back in nineteen. 19- 1992, and her weekend in Gainesville was the best weekend that she had as a competitor over the course of that year. It's a fun thing to watch. Kenny Bernstein not just making headlines with the 301 mile an hour run. He also made a pass that you really need to see to believe the fact that he was able to do what he did in this race car. I won't give it away. Uh, we had a blast making that uh, live show. You know, Jr. and, and Ron, uh, Ron, a, a kind of contemporary of that age in '92, he was really just getting his career started, driving the Montana Express car for John Mitchell. And me and Jr. are about the same age, so we we watched that broadcast as kids on our couch uh, when it aired on what was then the Nashville Network, or probably ESPN back in 1992. Either way, it is a great experience, and it's another way to gear up for the Emily Oil Gator Nationals that are on the way. The entry lists are starting to fill up, which is a great thing. Teams putting in their entries as they tend to do in this last couple of weeks before the event. Pro Modified Field is filling up well. Factory stock showdown is actually uh, very interesting as well and will be very interesting at the Gator Nationals because the Fords have returned. NHRA has made, as they often do in that category, some rules, amendments. The uh, formerly disgruntled Ford competitors have come back into the fold. They were able to gain a little bit of supercharger overdrive, which is what their um, kind of uh, anger protest, whatever you want to call it was last year. So uh, we already see a, a bumper crop, a couple of dozen uh, factory stock showdown cars entered down there, which will be great, a great heads-up category that Aaron Stanfield will be working to try to defend his world championship in. and He'll be fending off Fords, and he'll be fending off, trying to anyway, the brand new Challenger Drag Pack from Dodge. This finally uh, new version of that car released. It has the latest and greatest Gen 3 Hemi in it. The latest and greatest chassis technology built into it and you know it's interesting to think about that you know leah pruitt was racing the car she raced that el bandito car was like the development mule car from more than 10 years ago so uh they're excited to see what those new drag packs can do uh, happen to be able to peek at a little bit of uh, some testing they did earlier this winter and I can tell you that that car, uh, if it runs as it did when I saw it run, will be an absolute factor over the course of this 2021 Factory Stock Showdown campaign. So I think we're just going to go right into it here this morning. Rob Flynn is the co-crew chief for Doug Coletta's Mac Tool Top Fuel Dragster. As I mentioned before, works hand in hand with Troy Fashing and operating that team. We're going to talk to Rob about the 2021 season and how they are going to chase a championship as they always do with Doug Coletta. Rob Flynn, how you doing, man? i'm doing great brian how are you doing doing well you know i mentioned at the uh the top of the show that you know when we left las vegas in november it seemed like it would feel like 100 years before we went back racing and it kind of did but now it's all exciting because we're actually gonna get this thing going
1: yeah it's real exciting i mean uh you know it's the longest off season we've all had um for so many years and uh you know all the guys here they're chomping to get uh you know get racing again um a lot of guys here have spent a lot of the winter working on airplanes and stuff, so they're, they're really excited about being able to go to the racetrack again.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely the, on tap for all of us for sure. And you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about is you know, in the off season, we we know that there's a lot of service that gets done, a lot of parts get made, the, the inventory, if you will, gets built up for the for the upcoming year, but. In the, in the life of a crew chief, kind of what are your objectives in the off-season? When you sit down at the end of a year and look at your off-season, on a more normal year than this one, what are you trying to achieve when you roll into testing?
1: Well, we're, we're looking at, you know, last year, okay, why why did we, um, you know, why do we have issues here? And uh, why do we have a problem here? Why did we lose this round? You know, what, what can we do to make our car better? And so we just look at every little thing And no major changes, but just, you know, analyzing everything to try and make the car better than it was the year before because certainly all of our competitors are pretty much doing the same thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. And, you know, in your time in the sport, which has been extensive, and, and you've worked on everything. I mean, fuel cars, you had the, the ProMod experience with JR over in, uh, I guess it was Qatar or Bahrain, wherever you guys were racing that thing years ago. So you've really had your hands yeah. on a lot of stuff. How much has, has your job changed in the ability to go back and analyze some of that stuff, you know, in order to enable to have the information to make these kind of critical um, analysis that you do in the offseason?
1: Yeah, I mean, our jobs changed a lot. I mean, uh, uh, you know, when computers first came in and, you know, that changed a lot of things because you didn't have to, you know, kind of assume what was going on. And and now, uh, you know, you can look through all that data and then, you know, all the data like uh, our uh, partners TRD provide us at the track. Um, we can make more educated decisions and just, you know, just years of experience and looking at, at all of our stuff. And, and just trying to make it, um, you know, better every year and every, every time we go to the racetrack, we try to make the car better, and, um, whether that's, you know, engine parts or clutch parts or whatever it may be.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating thing, I think, for me you know, to watch you know guys like you work in, in this arena because you know obviously you're, you're faced with the same task week in and week out, get the car to the finish line first, but really everything around that changes, whether we're talking about the physical race surface, whether we're talking about the the environmental conditions we're doing it in. Um, obviously, racing in, in Gainesville in March is a little more familiar to us than racing in Gainesville in September. When we look back over that 2020 season and how we ran so many races in kind of an out-of-whack fashion, in terms of when and where we were at places. How much of that factored into into success or into trouble spots for you guys?
1: Well, for us personally, I mean, we ran, we ran a lot of situations that I, I don't think we've had in the past. Like running an Indy four times, I mean, two of those times were in extremely, you know, humid conditions. Yeah. And then we had to deal with that again at, at Gainesville. And I guess truthfully for us, our, our setup was not really very user-friendly in humid conditions. So we, we kind of struggled in, you know, those particular races in Gainesville, for sure we struggled. And uh, so we're certainly looking forward to running there in March versus September.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's good to just kind of get that back, you know, back to where it should be in terms of what we would expect anyway. And who knows? We could roll in there. It could be a hundred degrees again, I guess. You never really know what's going on these days. But um, in terms of, in terms of the relationship that you have with, with troy fashing and and this is always an interesting thing for me how you know two guys in your positions work together what is the division of labor between the two of you on a typical race weekend
1: well um basically i'm, I'm looking at you know analyzing all the computer data and then you know we discuss any kind of changes and uh you know so he, he does a little bit more um you know on on the car maintenance than i I'm, I'm involved with like he's and also he's mixing fuel and and um you know basically when i came over here this was his his team that he worked with and so i just came in and, and took uh, jim overhoffer's position and as far as you know tuning the car and stuff like that and then you know troy and i just worked together on on um, Every little, every little decision we make, and so far it's been a really good, uh, working relationship, and, you know, I mean, we would like to, you know, finish one spot better, but finishing second the last couple of years is, is not not a terrible year by any means at all.
0: No, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of people in the pit area that would kill to be able to have the the uh, the, the finishes that you guys have had over the last couple of seasons. Uh, why does it work so well between you two? I mean, is it just the, the the temperaments the same, or the outlooks the same, or or what? You know, what's the factor that makes this a good working relationship?
1: You know, that's that's a that's an interesting thing because. Well, we all look for chemistry, whether it's crew guys or crew chiefs and that. And, and you know, on paper, you think, well, how does that even work? And, and <laughs> truthfully, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, we got one of the greatest drivers out there in Doug Coletta. And, um, you know, we just all have a common goal. And, and this team has been together. The Most of the members have been together for a long time. So yeah. it's a very... You know, it's a very close unit there, and, um, you know, Troy has been a sponge. He's, you know, quite a bit younger than I, and, um, you know, we've, we've just it's just clicked, and, you know, I, it, I'm sure if you ask both of us at the start of this, we, we're going into it, and we're going, well, I don't know how this is going to work, but we'll <laughs> give it a shot. So this is what Connie wants, and uh, we'll make it work. And, and then, you know, fortunately,
0: it's worked really well. Yeah, it really has. I mean, the results—the uh, results obviously speak for themselves. We've been doing a series um, on NHRA social media, talking to the people around the sport about their beginnings and what the first race car was that they had. I want to talk to you about about your start. I mean, you're—you know—you're obviously a guy who came down from Canada. You grew up in Canada. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what was the first track you were at? What was the first car you wrenched on? What was the first thing you raced?
1: Well, my my first experience was it. Um in Edmonton International Speedway, and uh, actually, the first cars I even got to see—I rolled in the gate there. A friend of mine took me out. I was only like 15 years old, and the first cars I saw were fuel cars. So I—I I, I, I guess what I would say is the hook was set from that point on. That kind of ruins you because you know the fuel cars are so awesome, and it was actually a match race where they had you know. Um, Don Perdome was there with the the Army car and uh, Gordy Bonham and the Bubble Up car, okay. and then there was Gary Beck um, had um, at the time it was Export A, and uh, you know a bunch of a bunch of really strong cars from the you know from the Northwest and United States and Canada there, and so that was that was a uh, pretty exciting. In you know from that point on, I was just kind of you know. Wanted to get involved, and I didn't really know anybody and just went and talked to everybody. And, and there was uh, some guys that had just moved to Edmonton, and I ended up helping them. They had a little, uh, was an opal, a steel opal body double the altar <laughs> awesome. which was a, a blown 392 on gasoline. And then that led to me meeting people and, you know, just open doors. I met a guy named uh, Hank Johnson, who is a racer from the uh, Washington area. And whenever he was in Canada, I would help him. And then, you know, um, my first experience was, you know, driving down with some other racers from Edmonton to Seattle to help Hank Johnson. And once again, that just opened doors. And, and uh, here we are, you know, 40 some odd years later
0: it's an amazing thing and it's a it's a it's always a great thing to me because to to hear these stories because people get that like you said get the hook set in different ways you know we talked to we talked to some racers who you know the younger generation they they go to the racetrack and they run a junior dragster and that kind of gets them going but it, to me it's like when we talked to Paul Lee the other day it was a great story because you know he would sneak his mom's slant six duster to the racetrack and run 20 second elapsed times and dream about racing a funny car someday and, and there he is and I and for you to be that kid to roll into the racetrack and see these fuel cars and go, oh, this is for me. It's a neat thing. I, it's 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 always interesting to me when we talk to people in motorsports where you kind of see it and you just know that's your thing. And obviously, that was the way it was for you.
1: Yeah, no, it definitely was. And, and you know, I mean, I got to, you know, watch my heroes and now I'm, you know, I'm acquaintances with them, yeah. you know, and, and now I'm working for one of those yeah. heroes. So, and I've worked for a lot of them, and so it's, uh, it's really an interesting dynamic that, you know, young kid, 15 years old, goes to the racetrack, and then 40-some-odd years later, I mean, you're racing with some of these guys and have raced with them. And so, um, you know, just you just have to work at, at uh, you know, your passion and your goals, and it's not like going to work every day if it's your passion that's a
0: fact and and everybody takes their own path to where they get and for you i mentioned it earlier but i'd like to go into a little bit more depth because i I don't think a lot of people remember that you did this but you know when you and jr todd were racing in qatar running a pro mod i mean we don't think of rob flynn as a pro mod crew chief but there you were a successful pro mod crew chief talk about that experience and and how much different it was going to this door slammer as opposed to a a fuel car that you had been so accustomed to
1: yeah i mean that was that was a different uh you know opportunity um you know, one day Jr. goes, "Hey, uh, Jake Coward's going to give you a call." And you know, we we're both kind of in between jobs at that point. And um, said, "Okay." And you know, I'd worked on alcohol cars uh, back in the in the eighties. Um, I worked with a guy named Kurt Lawrence from from Edmonton on alcohol drags. And then I actually worked with Pat Austin when he first started started driving the alcohol funny car. So I had a little bit of experience with that. And uh, you know, when Jake Kelly called me. He said, here's what I want to do. I want you to build this car, and I want it to have a, you know, an automatic transmission and a torque converter and all that because that was, like, the latest, greatest yeah. thing that everyone was trying to do. And and I'm like, okay. And so, <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> so you know, what I did is I actually called, um, you know, some people and found out, you know, um, like, comb converters are in Indiana and I drove up there and met them and talked to them and they said here's what everyone else says and here's something we think is going to be better and I said well give them you know give us one of those and one of those and and I you know I talked to Brad Anderson and said here's some things I'd like to do because of what you know this is in a fuel car and yeah with camshafts and stuff like that and he said here's what you know the latest alcohol stuff is and I build these, you know, one particular set of heads, but I've got these other heads that I think are going to be better, and so it's same thing. We'll take one of those and one of those, and you know, and then yeah, it just it kind of evolved as we're working over there. I mean, we had some troubles with the pistons, but one of our competitors had a, you know, a different pistons. So we're like, wow, we need to get some of those, and you know, and so the biggest thing was learning, you know, um, converters and. Yeah that kind of stuff and really that stuff had just started then and you know you we said well we'll just you know we'll put this in and see what happens and the actual first two runs and testing the thing wouldn't shift in you know it's uh eighth mile but yeah. it wouldn't shift and then uh, jerry shut it off and it ran like a 390 or something like that and then uh we came back and we finally got it to shift we ended up qualifying second i think with you know 370 (laughs) something and you know like when we first went over there all these you know alcohol guys pro mod guys are like what are these steel guys they're just gonna blow up a bunch (laughs) of stuff and you know and (laughs) the reality was we you know we did really well i mean we had a two-car team and there was eight races and we won four of them yeah and um they had a, you know, they had a point structure, and at the end, we were number one, and, but the way they crowned their champions at the, at the time was through a, a one-race thing, and they raced for the belt, and we actually lost in the semifinals to, uh, I believe it was Vaughn Smith, and then he oh, okay. won that, so, but, uh, you know, it was a learning curve, but fortunately, we were able to test, you know, like, early, before the races, like, we'd make five runs in a night or something like that, and you know, we learned, you know, torque converter stuff, and then, you know, some of the stuff we tried, you know, um, worked really well, and, and to this day, they, you know, the, a lot of those things that people were doing back then is starting, you know, like everyone's learning more and more, and they implemented a lot of that stuff, and, and, uh, it was kind of neat to be on the, you know, the starting of all that stuff. So
0: I'd have to imagine that that was a professionally a very satisfying experience for you because of the fact you really had to push yourself and you had to apply. You know, one you're able to apply things you learned, but two you also had to learn a lot of new stuff. So I would I would guess that on a professional level that was probably a, a pretty good experience for you.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's great. I mean, it's I feel like it's really good to be, you know, pretty rounded. You know. Um, whether it be a crew fun top fuel or funny car or pro mod, I mean, all those experiences can teach you something. And, you know, at the end result is, is, um, you know, you're, you're making decisions based off of racetrack and atmospheric yeah. conditions, whether it be one or the other. I mean, um, you know, in the pro mod category, you know, the, the supercharger is a screw compressor and it lasts forever. So you don't, you know, that's a, you don't <laughs> yeah. have to worry about that. And if you're, you know if you're running an alcohol that makes the best power when it's not destroying itself um you know you can make a lot of runs and you're not you know there's just a lot of consistency there where with a fuel car you're dealing with you know there's a different set of clutch discs <laughs> in that car every run and, yeah you know and, and you're not able to turn around as far as uh, the three rounds maintenance in the pro mod you can almost make a run every hour or even less whereas top field car i mean you're basically you know an hour and a half to two hours so obviously the conditions can change quite a bit in that amount of time
0: you know you mentioned pat austin's name and and you're involved with him when he first got in an alcohol funny car um was there any indication even at that early stage of what and and how good pat austin would be because you know as a kid growing up watching this stuff i mean pat austin was a rock star i mean the guy was just unreal did you know right off the bat that this guy was something special
1: oh yeah absolutely i mean you know uh, we we built the car in 1986 and uh, right off the bat i mean the the car ran good but i mean pat was just a phenomenal driver he just you know he, he could do stuff that was you know amazing and uh you know, obviously being able to jump in a fuel car and, and an alcohol funny car in the same day and win races, I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's almost unheard of. I mean, the total different, you know, things, you're revving it up and dropping the clutch and shifting versus, you know, a fuel car where you're, you know, hit the throttle and hang on and, you know, get to the finish line first. And, you know, he certainly, you know, the, the whole team, the whole family, I mean, they... They had, a, they had a good program going there for a lot of years. And, uh, you know, even Pat's son now, he, he does a really great job driving the, uh, you know, the Nostalgia yes, he does. car, too.
0: Yeah, and I think Pat is almost having more fun. I think Pat's having almost more fun on that program uh, these days than he's had in a, in a long time. It's it's neat to talk to him and catch up a little bit. And he takes a lot of pride in watching his son succeed in that car, for sure.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, th- I think he really... You know they're do, doing it with that Ford engine and so there's you know there's a lot of you know R&D they've done with that and so it's you know it's real satisfying for him to as a crew chief now which he was you know he was part of all the you know the setup and tune up of those the cars back in the alcohol days too and uh, I think it's real satisfying for him now to have his son in his uh, footsteps basically and, and you know, a really good job at what they're doing. And, uh, you know, so it's still a big family affair. I know that for sure.
0: And one last question before I let you go and uh, continue on with the preparation for 2021, Rob. And, and you know, that guy, that young guy that, that was working with Pat Austin on this alcohol car who, who was probably thinking, man, I don't even know if it gets any better than this. Um, of course it did for you and it, and it continues to. And I guess I want to ask, at what point in your career did you kind of get the inkling that I can do this for a living? Because everybody has that moment, and it's different for everybody. So, you know, at what point in your development as a, as a crew chief and as somebody in professional drag racing, did you look around and say, I can actually make a living at this?
1: You know, I don't know. I mean, you look back, and, and the, you know, nostalgia is a big thing nowadays, and you, and you think, you know, wow. I mean, back then, we were just working Racing, and you know, looking back, we're like, wow, we were really part of something pretty neat, and and you just kept working as long as you could make a living, and you know, then you know, family came along, and that, and you keep going, and obviously, there's some bumps in the road there as yeah. far because this is a performance-based industry, and and you know, you gotta you gotta perform, and uh, you know, not all not all teams you work with gel like this has worked out. So, um, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, you just keep going. I mean, uh, do whatever it takes, you know, Uh, like going to race pro mod cars. I mean, that was certainly a new experience, but it was the same thing. You're, you know, now you've chosen this path of for a career and, you know, you got family at home. You got to feed, so you just do whatever it takes. And you know, you sometimes you got a manufactured job. You got to be gung ho and and go talk to someone. And you know, it sometimes it opens doors, sometimes it doesn't. But you know, I always looked at it like if one door closes, there's another door opens, and you got to go after it and make that door open.
0: Yeah, it's great. I mean, it speaks to, uh, certainly speaks to your longevity in the sport. It speaks to your character and it speaks to who you are because not everybody makes that decision. You know, uh, you've been around long enough and, and to see how many people have, have come and gone in drag racing that, you know, just were unwilling to, to bend or unwilling to move off of what they thought was right or what they thought they would we're entitled to or whatnot and um i think it's a really it's a really cool thing to see you where you are today to watch your team succeed to understand kind of what the environment is there and uh it's going to be a neat thing man 2021 i don't expect anything uh, i don't expect anything less than a number two from you guys but maybe i expect uh, one spot more
1: yeah no that, that'd be a wonderful thing and uh, you know to add to that you know what you just asked about is you know I got to work alongside a lot of these crew chiefs, you know, um, Ken Vinnie, Dale Armstrong, Dick LaHaye's helped along the way. I mean, Bill Schultz. I mean, these are all guys that, you know, you look up to Bernie Fairley. I mean, so those are guys that also opened doors and, and helped us, you know, get along. Like back in the days, you know, Dale Armstrong didn't like to run new clutch disks we We'd run, disform and stuff like that. And those are things that kept everything going too. So, you know, we at Coletta sports we're trying to help all those guys too. And and uh you know, hopefully um, you know, we can we can get Doug that championship that uh, we all want to see him have that number one someday.
0: Rob Flynn, thanks very much for taking the time, man. I look forward to seeing you in Gainesville. Good luck with the testing that uh, will be starting in the next few days, and uh, I know you're as excited as I am, so thanks for taking the time.
1: Thanks, Brian. We're real excited to uh, you know make 2021 the year for Doug Coletta.
0: Great to talk to Rob Flynn. Genuinely good guy, genuinely smart guy, obviously with the success that that team has had and continues to have always great to hear about somebody's path to this sport and I'm sure there's a lot of you out there that didn't know that he raced Pro Mod cars with JR Todd in in Qatar when they were both kind of in-between fuel rides, and they had success over there. I think it's a great part of his story and certainly speaks to the guy that he is and the ability that he has in drag racing. So now we transition to defending Top Fuel World Champion, multi-time defending Top Fuel World Champion Steve Torrance. He comes into 2021 with expectations of doing it again, because why wouldn't they? It has been an incredible thing to watch the Capco Racing team do what they've done, and so now let's talk to the champ of Top Fuel Drag Racing, Steve Torrance. How you doing, Steve? Doing great. How are you today? I'm doing really well, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, being a Texan, man, you guys have uh, you guys have had a tough tough go of it the last couple weeks. How'd you guys make it through that deal?
2: You know, it, it's definitely not uh, typical to be busting frozen water troughs <laughs> and dealing with snow and driving the tractor out in the pond to make sure the animals are watered. I mean, it, it's everything opposite of what kinds
0: yeah and i mean i saw you um i think it was on twitter i think you were using your four-wheel drive front end loader that normally is moving you know dirt and, and other stuff around the farm using it to move snow
2: yeah and you know i'm out there i'm thinking this isn't that bad and it'll be all right and i i have to go we drive out and i'm going to check my cows and checking on the horses and and we were shut down completely at capco so oh wow uh I I, I seem to be able to take care of the animals and livestock that way. But other than that, you know, we needed to be here working. But I get to my gate, my gate won't open because there's too much snow. Uh. So I get out there the first day, and I shovel it away, and it works fine. And then the next day, I'm like, okay, well, here this doesn't work again. So I shovel it out. And The third day, I was like, I'm over it. I'm getting my tractor, (laughs) and I'm pushing the snow completely out of here, and we'll just see how long it lasts. And it lasted for the rest of the time. And I sent a I sent a video of that to Hogan, and I told him I said, "Hogan, your crazy ass weather from Montana is down here in Texas. Could you come get it, please?"
0: Man, it was something. And and obviously the you know the added responsibility of uh, of having all the livestock that you do that's something that um, you know it's obviously that's going to weigh on you because you got to make sure those animals are are handled as best you can and healthy. And yeah, that's it an, that's an additional responsibility.
2: It really is, and these animals are not, I mean, they're not used to it. They're not built for it here, Uh, and I'm not going to say they're not built for it, but they're definitely not used to it, and the animals that are from the north, but the animals that live in East Texas and stay in Texas are used to the heat. And I I saw something the other day, and I mean, we we, we just dealt with it. We did what we had to do, and and fortunately at home, we did not lose any power. We didn't lose water, but there was tons of, tons of people that did so uh i I saw something and it was like all you northerners are giving all this all us Texans so much crap about dealing with this and dealing with that and the weather's you know it's not that cold well it's pretty much a hundred degrees cooler than what we're used to that's insane When you put it in that context (laughs) it's like Okay you're just dealing with with that but your definition of hot is 65 our definition <laughs> of hot is 105
0: Right yeah, man, it was uh, it was something. I'm glad to hear that you guys, uh, you know, on the local level came through everything, uh, came through everything OK. And, you know, about an hour before we got on the phone today to make this podcast, um, there was a video posted on the Capco's team social media. And it's incredible, man. It's it's Dominic Lagana walking into the race shop with his walker, but using his prosthetic legs. I mean, this guy is this guy is an astonishing human being, and I know you've you've had a you've had a relationship with him for years. But I mean, what can you say,
2: man? It, it will bring tears to your eyes to see it because you know everyone uh, has has kind of witnessed and and seen everything that's going on with Dom. You know, where yeah. they had the wreck, everybody rallied together, the ship, the support. Uh, at Indy there with the Lugana Strong shirts and, and, uh, just, just keeping track and, and he posts things on social media. I'll post things and try to keep everyone updated. Uh, I got that, te- I got that text from Dom, uh, this morning. Actually, Dom texted me and said, I just walked in the shop for the first time and, as as I'm looking at that, I get three more texts. And he says, "Boom, boom, boom!" And it's Gary Pritchett sending me videos of Dom walking in the back door of the shop. And so I just called him, and and I said, "Brother, I, I I'm I'm so proud of you, and and glad to have you on the way." But I already knew about it, and he, he started laughing. <laughs> um, I, I can't explain to to you. um, or anyone else, unless you just know Dom again, the most optimistic, strongest willed, most driven, determined, good person I know. And I always thought that, that him and Bobby, those are just good people. They're just great guys. You'd never hear him say anything negative about anyone. They're just genuinely good people and, and go, as you go through life, you you meet people and, and you think, you know, that sucker right there's tough. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, I, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty tough. I've been through a good bit of stuff and you just deal. When you look at the struggle and, and the cards that has been dealt to Dom and the way that he's handled them, that's another level of stuff, in it, and you just can't explain it until you see it firsthand. And I'm sure that sometimes, somewhere between Dom and Sarah, they might have had some conversations where he's down a little bit. But as far as anywhere else, I've never seen Dom Lagana be down about any of the situation that he's going through, and he's just rocked it completely 100%. And so, the video you're talking about and him walking in on those legs, those are his legs. Yes, they are. He's, he's still riding around in a loner wheelchair right now because he hasn't gotten his own wheelchair yet because of something. And I just told him, I said, well, you just tell him to keep that dang wheelchair, man, you got your own legs now.
0: (laughs) You know, to your point, and it was something that I, I've honestly been thinking about. And especially after watching that video is the fact that you're exactly right. This those guys, and especially Dominic, for what he's been through, they redefine what what I think toughness is. They they really do kind of redefine that word, and they do it in this way that you mentioned. That is just it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's the guy's got a smile on his face, and he's doing it, and you can hear it in his voice. I mean, he's you know he's he's talking. that ah, it took me a second to get out of the car. Like it's just like yeah, this is what I do. This is the situation. This is how I'm going to move forward from it. And my question to you is going to be, and you brought it up. You know the amount of the amount of stuff that you've worked through in your life and been through in terms of medical stuff has is all internal, right? We don't see that. We see Steve Torrance as we see a healthy guy standing there in front of us. We don't we don't know the physiology inside your body that the things that you've had to battle through. We can clearly see what Dom's been through. It's it's outward. Were there any conversations between the two of you over the course of this regarding? you know, your recovery from, from the things you've been through, your ability to bounce back from some of this stuff in him. Cause you can talk to each other in a way that nobody else really can.
2: Yeah. You know, uh, when all this started, I didn't get to go see Dom because of of COVID because yeah. of the, the, the being able to go see them in the hospital and everything. So I mean, it was a long while all this happened. Um, my mom basically is a mother to dom and bobby you bet so she she was it was bobby my mother and sarah in the hospital with dom so i mean we got we got updates but i didn't really get to talk to him and when we went up there and forgive me i don't know how long oh sure whatever i really i really got to just sit down and talk to him and I think it's it's you know it's very evident that I'm a Christian. Do I yeah. act like that all the time? No, and I fall short a lot. But I sat down and I told him, I said, you know, you're the only one that can dictate how you 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 go through this. And I said you were more positive than than anybody I could ever imagine. Yeah. And and nobody is given. Yes, I've been through some hardships. I've never been through anything like that. Right. And uh, and I just told him I said you know through the things that I've gone through, I've realized that everything you know it's, it's cliche to say everything happens for a reason and, and you know you'll 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 figure it out but I, I believe that and I think that could have easily been avoided and, and and something else would have came of it but that's what's supposed to that's how that's how this is all panned out. And someday, sometime, somewhere, Dom is going to meet somebody again that he met. And, and this is what I told him. I said, you know, you'll, you'll you'll meet someone years from now, weeks from now, now don't know when, that you talked to or they saw your story that you never met or something. And when you talk to them, they're going to say, hey, man, I saw what you did and I saw what you went through and it helped me. And I said, when you experience that, you'll figure out that all of this bad crap that I've gone through and all the hard work that it's taken to get here, I'm still good. And I'm still I'm still Steve Torrance, and he's still going to be Don Legana. but you help someone in a way that you'll never know. And the only way you find out is they come up and say, hey, watching you go through this or watching you do what you did and and all these things, that that.'" that helped my life or that made me do this, this way or whatever. And I said, you're going to have the opportunity to affect a lot of people. And the way that you're conducting yourself and the way that you've handled this, a lot of people need to look at it and learn from it. And I said, I'm one of them and I I appreciate it. So, I mean, it's humbling to, to, to see this.
0: Oh, it is. I mean, it's just it's an incredible, uh, an incredible human story that reinforces, you know, reinforces, I think, uh, you know, a lot of us that have known Dom and Bobby through the years, different capacities, different things, you know, from the fan side of it, they hear a lot of people saying, man, these are great guys. These are great guys. They're positive. They're tough. And then you see Dominic go through this and it validates everything everybody has ever said about those guys to the world. And it's a it's a really cool thing. So Let's move into race I car him, stuff. I said, are
2: you, Go I for said it. are you sure you're not a cowboy? Like, I said, I, I don't know any cowboys from New York, <laughs> but I'm sure there are some of them. But are you sure you're not a cowboy? Because you're tough. They just started laughing.
0: You know, my first question as we transition into the race car deal is like, who the hell wants to race you guys? Nobody. If I'm anybody, how do I want to race this team? I look at the way, uh, I look at how close this team has been for years I look at how they responded to this situation and they're even closer than they have ever have been. It's, it's a, it's amazing.
2: Yeah, but I'm going to answer that question really quick. Everybody, (laughs) everybody wants to beat you. And I've, I've been, I've been on both sides of that. I completely know where I'm at now is not wanting to get beat and wanting to go out and do what we've been doing but I've also been on the side of it where Tony Schumacher's kicking everybody's butt or yeah. Andrew Brown's kicking everybody's butt. And now, like, I'm that guy. Or right, you are. You are that I'm guy. I'm that guy right now. Yes. But everybody wants to be the guy that beats them. And, I, I mean, I've been, I've been the guy way more than I'm the guy that they want to be. <laughs> I'm the guy that wanted to beat somebody. And so, you've... You, you keep that in the back of your head as motivation because I, I I think that if you ask Tony or if you ask Antron or you ask Bernstein or Garlitz or anybody that's been at the top, that, I mean, it's, it's tough to get there, but it's pretty dang tough. It's even more tough to stay there because when you're up on top of that mountain and everybody's gunning for you, you're the only one up there that's fighting them off.
0: Yeah, and you're getting everybody's best shot.
2: Yep, yep. So, uh, and and that makes you more proud when you go out and do well, is because you know everybody is coming for you.
0: Yeah, and you know, speaking of a guy that's that's been on the other side of that, uh, Antron Brown winning the last race of the season last year. Obviously, I know you would we would have loved to have gone out with a race win, and I know how close you are with Antron. You know, in the great scheme of things. Antron Brown on a winning team is a good thing for our sport, I think. Yeah, obviously, the guy's an incredible ambassador. He's an incredible competitor. As close as you are to Antron, how much did that mean to him? Not not because he beat you, but just leaving the end of a season with a race win after the dry spell he was on.
2: So, I mean, there was so many emotions going into that round. And, I mean, we had, you know, even though it was an abbreviated season and there wasn't as many races – Every round counted, every single round counted. And you go into the last race and it's up to me and Doug. And then you, you win that round. We win first round and he loses first round. So now we're the champs, but you, you still are in that mindset of just fighting for your life. And so it's like, okay, let's go win this, let's go win this race. And then as adrenaline, goes away and as the day goes on and and you're just you're just wore out (laughs) so I mean we go into that final round I didn't personally realize how long it had been can't you had no clue I think of that guy as, as you know just kicking my butt is what I think about all the time so I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't really have that in my mind. And going into the final, I thought, you know, I'm going to go up here and do the best I can, but I kind of had my guard down and I was, I was not just so focused and trained on what I was up there doing. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm typical to have a bad light every now and then, but not like a 120. So I go up there and I stage the car, the light flickers and I'm like, it's not going to stay on. So I bumped the, bu- I bumped the car again. As I'm bumping the car to get it to stay on, the light comes on, and I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs>
1: there goes A.B.
2: <laughs> and then the whole time you're like, maybe he'll smoke the tires, or maybe it'll blow up, or maybe, maybe I'll smoke the tires or blow up. But – None of the above happened. I just watched him take off and I said, I, hey, I'll follow you. Just you keep going. <laughs> but it was it was it was special. I mean, looking looking out and, and seeing how excited he was. Like I said, I didn't realize it had been however long it yeah, had been it was a one race. Yeah. But um you know I'm I'm not the guy that looks at stats. I'm I, yeah. it, it's cool to hear, but I don't pay attention to them. So when you're just immersed in what's going on, whether he's won a race and and wh- however long it was or not, that guy is like a dead gum rattlesnake. You don't just reach in there and grab him. You don't just take him lightly. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying. I mean, oh, that guy. Yeah. Just because they won a race, don't mean that he can't bite. So I'm thinking, shoot, you got like you can't give that sucker no slack, just like you can't give Tony or anybody else. Yeah. So I mean, look, look at Houston. I think I was 30 on the tree and went 68 and got beat.
0: Yeah, that was that was nasty. That was I mean that side by side final was, the I think, in terms of just a single side-by-side race, the most the most exciting single side-by-side top fuel race in years. I mean, it was, I said on the show, it was an instant classic. I mean, it was a really, that is everything to me, everything top fuel drag racing is supposed to be was right there on display.
2: I can't remember what I ate for breakfast normally. <laughs> but, and, and I used to wonder about some of these guys that I race with because they'll recall certain races clearly to the tee and I, I remember everything about that round and and I remember so many other rounds and, and like they just they're they're emblazed in your head what happened and Tony goes in I go in Tony goes in I sat for a second I go in and I hit the, the light came on I had the tree and I was like I got you you sucker and then we're going down through there I'm like I still hear him I still hear him we go through the lights and my, and, and I saw I, I throw the shoot, I look up and see the sixty eight, and I'm looking on the wall down there to see if the light comes on the wind light and it doesn't come on. And then I see his come on, I'm like, You gotta be kidding me.
1: What are you doing?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, that was a complete and utter throw down. It was a it was a great final round. I guess one last question yeah. before I let you go, Steve. I know you got work to do down there at Capco. Um how is Mama K adjusting to getting ready to become Grandmama Kay?
2: I think she'll always be Mama Kay, but it's just, she's, man, I, I don't know who's more excited. Myself, Natalie, my mom, my dad, the guys here at the office, I don't know. I mean, everybody is pretty pumped up. And so um, we, not we, Natalie and, and a bunch of girls and a bunch of people had a baby shower this weekend uh, and I think we're on the countdown uh, she's supposed to arrive here sometime the first around the 1st of April April 14th so everything my house is, is I, I don't even know how to explain it it looks like a truck blew up with a bunch of baby clothes in it <laughs> I mean I got things that I don't even know what they are but baskets on stands and buggies and carts and things that go in the back seat of my truck and I'm like, I don't know. My dog I think that I think my dogs have already figured out that somebody new's moving in because they've quit sleeping in our room and moved to the front bedroom up
0: there. Oh they've relocated. And I'm like,
2: <laughs> Oh they've relocated. I think they've already staked claim and they're like, whoever lives in here we're protecting, Dad, we're done with you. <laughs> um nice. It, it it's I I'm excited, but Mama Kay's pumped up, Billy's excited and I mean really it's it's been it's been a blessing with the COVID because it's kind of given a time off and time yeah. at home and, and 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 being able to be better prepared for this because I think that as, as excited as I am and as well prepared as I think we are I I'm gonna tell you I bet you in a few months I'm gonna be like oh we weren't ready.
0: I think, you know? yeah, hey, listen, so, uh, having you know, having two, two guys myself, and uh, I think to speak to every other first-time parent, yeah, you're not ready. But that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. You're not supposed to be ready. Oh, we think yeah. we're
2: ready, and we're relaxed, and then they get here like, oh, no,
0: we weren't ready for this. <laughs> it's
2: like the great snowstorm of East Texas. We, Oh, yeah, we're good. Uh, no, we're not. <laughs>
0: Hey, man, thanks for taking some time today. Uh, certainly appreciate your insight onto on to Dominic and everything going on with the team. And uh, looking forward to seeing you to get the season started down there in Gainesville. Uh, be well, and I will see you in a couple of weeks. Sounds great. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Steve. Great conversation with Steve Torrance there. The insights into the team, into the family, into the the incredible work that Dom Lagana has put in in recovery and in altering and changing his life and moving forward it's just uh it's amazing stuff and of course steve can provide a perspective to that that uh, that really nobody else can uh, great relationship that they have with the lagana brothers that entire team as i mentioned to steve when we started talking about the race car it's like i don't know who wants to race these guys and he said i do everybody and he's right rob flynn wants to race those guys uh justin ashe wants to race those guys mike green wants to race those guys and that really is the beauty of of drag racing it is such an incredibly tight-knit sport. It is such an incredible community of people that can inspire you with their actions or with their knowledge or with their ability, and then we get them together on Sunday, and they try to beat each other's brains in with their race cars. It's what makes uh, what makes this sport so special. It's what certainly has kept me engaged in it for half my life now. So a great episode of the NHRA Insider today. I think that was a really insightful conversation with Rob Flynn and with Steve Torrance, two guys who have different jobs. Rob Flynn is to try to get that Doug Coletta car down the racetrack as quickly as possible. Steve Torrance's job is to guide his Capco top fuel drag car or top fuel dragster down the racetrack as swiftly, as straightly, and as accurately as possible. Both guys will be on a if not direct, indirect collision course this year, as Doug Coletta and Steve Torrance will undoubtedly be among the favorites to win the 2021 Camping World NHRA Drag Racing Top Fuel title. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider. Another few minutes have passed and we are that much closer. The NHRA Amelie Oil Gator Nationals, they're coming soon, they're coming fast, and none of us can wait. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.